All right, here we go. The water magically appears. All right, we are continuing in our series we've called One, where we're looking at some of the most important verses of the Bible, looking at that one verse, finding one truth. And we've called the church to memorize these verses. And so we've looked at several. This week we'll be in Ephesians 4, 32. How's everybody doing on the memorization? Come tell me later. We won't try to do it all together because of all the different translations. That was chaos. Y'all supposed to get the ESV. All right, Ephesians 4.32, the words of our God say this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things that I've tried to point out to you each and every week is that looking at one verse is important and we can dig in and kind of get deep into the words and into you know, the, the grammar and kind of what's going on there. But we must also understand this one verse in light of its context. We get in a lot of trouble as we pointed out how when you can take one verse and you kind of make it say whatever you want, you know, like I can do all things through Christ, I can throw that touchdown pass. And so we want to look at this verse in context this morning. And in the context in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, the author of the book, he, he, is, he has kind of this one big point, this one thing he's trying to drive home. And then he kind of gives us all these little examples of that. And so let me read to you a little bit of the context, starting verse 17 of chapter 4. Paul says this, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. All right, so Paul's big idea here, he's saying you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do because that's not the way you learned Christ. That's not what Jesus is about. This whole section, Paul is reminding us that the normal, routine, acceptable things people do in this world are not normal, routine, and acceptable for you. You are in Christ. You belong to a different kingdom. You have different values, and you are to live according to that kingdom and its values. We used to live this way. Now we live this way. That's his whole point, that we are to be counter-cultural because we were once in darkness but now walk in light. You see, but too often what happens is we're kind of like chameleons. You know that lizard who blends into its surroundings to protect itself from predators, from enemies? We're like that. We blend in at work because, you know, we don't want to cause any problems. We blend in at home because we don't want to fight with our spouse anymore. We blend in around our friends because we don't want to make our religious stuff a big deal. And then often, instead of looking different than the culture, we essentially look the same as the culture. We just happen to be busy on Sunday mornings. Unless there's a ball game or unless there's a lake I need to go to or, you know, one of those things. Ask yourself this question. Would the people at your work or the people in your neighborhood be surprised to find out that you were a Christian? Would their response to finding out that news go, oh, really? Would they be surprised to know what you believe? 
Are you simply blending into the world around you or do you stand out where everyone around you knows this guy really believes what he says he believes? Paul has to remind us of this because it's not like when Jesus saved us, we were boom, different, changed. Rather, we are in this process by being renewed day by day that God is molding us into the image of Christ, this slow, often painful process where we're fighting off old habits and learning new habits, where we're saying, I really want to do these old things I used to do, but i got to stop doing that, and now I've got to learn to do these new things. It's almost like having to learn to walk again. A couple years ago, my brother-in-law had an accident with a mower where he chopped all his toes off. Yeah, it was painful, and it looked gross. Now he's got this big nub for a foot. And after all the surgeries and he, his foot was fixed or whatever, they had to, he had to learn to walk again. He had to go to therapy to, to learn how to walk and not how to walk in a way that was not going to mess his hips up in the future. So he had to relearn muscles and relearn how to do it. And it was, it was painful and it hurt and he wanted to give up at times. And, and he was discouraged because he thought, I'm never going to get to play golf again. And, and, and he had all these thoughts going through him and he wanted to give up. And, and as I think about that, that is how the Christian life is. When you become a Christian, you've got to relearn everything. You have to relearn how to flex and use every muscle. Your life is different now because you're under the lordship of Jesus. And so the pain and the struggle of learning to walk again, the trials, the wanting to give up, the pain, the wanting to go, for things to go back to the way that they were where they're just easy, because following Jesus is sometimes really hard. Like it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And sometimes we want to give up. Sometimes we want things to go back to the way they were. Sometimes we just want to enjoy life and be left alone. But God has not called us to continue to walk in darkness but in light. New creatures transformed by the gospel with new hearts and new minds and new legs that we have to learn to use again. One of the most difficult things we're called to do, as Paul is getting ready to list out all of these examples as we look at our verse today, this most difficult thing that often is often for us is something that everyone in this room would agree is a good thing and something that other people should do. But when it comes to us, the thing that we're going to look at this morning is often incredibly difficult. Even sometimes when we want to do it, sometimes we just can't do it. We can't get past it. And that is forgiving people. See, God again and again calls us to forgive those who have hurt us, who use us, who betray us, and who wrong us. It is so clearly something that we must do. And as we look at it from the outside, we're for it. Like I said, like we, we think this is a good thing. Yes, people should forgive people. But when it's our turn, it becomes incredibly difficult. Forgiving people who have hurt us is something that is incredibly hard that every one of us in this room has or will struggle with. Have you ever said this? Have you ever said, I know I should forgive them, but you don't know what they did to me. Have you ever said, Brett, I know I should forgive this person. I know it's the right thing to do, but you don't know what they did. Have you ever said that or ever thought that? But you don't understand. You don't know what they did to me. I would never do something like that to them. See, the number one reason you struggle with forgiving people who wrong you is that in your heart and mind, you probably have this deep-seated belief 
that whatever they did to wrong you, you would never do that to them. That you would never do that to somebody else. That you can't believe what they did and you would never do it. And what happens when we think that, right? What happens when we think I would never do what they did and so I can't forgive them because of what they did to me. It causes this thing in us where we begin to actually believe this lie that we are more holy and more right and more good than they are because we wouldn't do the thing that they did. When in reality, the truth is, you are just as capable of doing the exact same wrong done to you. Given the right circumstance and the right situation, there is no wrong that you are not capable of doing yourself. But we don't think that, right? We think, I would never do that. But in reality, God's grace has just kept you from being in a situation where you would. And do you know what happens when you refuse to forgive someone? You don't hurt the other person, but rather it hurts you. There were two Army veterans uh, at the World War II Memorial in D.C., and they were standing there reflecting on their time in the service, reflecting on when they were both prisoners of war, captives of war. And one of the, those veterans looked over to the other, and he said to him, have you forgiven your captors? And he looked at him, and he said, never. That veteran looked back at him and he said, then you are still a captive in your heart. You see, when you refuse to forgive, it stirs in you, it festers in you, it eats away at your soul, causing bitterness and anger, and you begin to spiral and you get frustrated and you become this angry, bitter, hardened person. Unforgiveness only hurts you. And so in Paul's point here in this whole text that we're to be different than the world, he's going to tell us the way we treat people and the way we forgive people sets us apart. He gives us two things, two commands before he gives us the forgiving command, and we're going to look at those. Notice the first line of our verse this morning. It says, be kind to one another. What a simple command. Be kind to one another. Seems easy to do, but it's actually quite profound. You see, to be kind and to be warm and gentle and hospitable and considerate, to treat other people with respect and honor, to be kind, to, be, to treat others how we want to be treated, sometimes is easy, right? Sometimes it's easy to be kind. Like when you like somebody, when someone's your friend, it's easy to be kind to them. When someone's kind to you first, it's easy to be kind back. But what about being kind to your enemies? But what about being kind to those people who hurt you? But what about being kind to those people that just annoy the snot out of you? We call those people EGRs, extra grace required. But how are you being kind to them? What about, what about the people you just don't like? See, when, when Paul gives us this command, he is not qualifying it. He's not saying, uh, be kind when others are kind to you. He's not saying be kind when it suits you. Be kind when it's easy. He's just saying be kind. Blanket statement to everyone. It's not be kind if. Just be kind. No matter what they do, their actions are irrelevant to the command of God to you to be kind to them. You can only control you. Imagine what it it would be like in your relationships with other people. 
if when we got short-tempered or frustrated or whatever, instead of responding in frustration or giving them the silent treatment or giving them the stink eye, we were actually kind in response. Think about the ways it would transform your relationships, how it would slowly even change the other person you were being kind to. But being kind is hard. It's so much easier to be rude. It's so much easier to give the cold shoulder, to give a look, to tell someone off. It's so much easier to not care. But to be genuinely kind, you can't just put on a face. To be genuinely kind, you cannot just fake it because then eventually the facade will fall down and you'll lose it on somebody. To genuinely be kind, you must genuinely care for them. You can fake it for a little while, but, you, but to genuinely be kind, you actually must love them like you love yourself, as God has commanded us to do. You see, the world can be kind when it suits them. The world can be kind to their boss when they know it's going to get them a raise in the end. The world can be kind to their friends because there's a benefit from their friendship. But we stand out to the world and we are kind to people who don't deserve it. And the world would look at us and say, why in the world are you so nice to them? Next, he says, be kind to one another and then tender-hearted. It's interesting here because the Greek word translated is often translated compassion or compassionate, which would be totally fine. It makes sense here. Uh, and you could use that word, but I really like the fact that the translators and the ESV anyways chose to use the word tender-hearted. I think the word compassion we're kind of desensitized to and like it just kind of goes over our head. But think about that word tender-hearted. Like what does that even mean? Sometimes parents of children, they'll say, oh, yeah, this is our tender-hearted baby, you know, of one of their kids. And she's, we just mean that they're emotional, right, or they, they cry a lot. I have one of those. We call her our tender-hearted baby. But I don't think that's what he's meaning here, that we're just more emotional or sentimental. I think what Paul is getting at here when he says that we are to be tender-hearted toward one another is that we are to have empathy, and empathy is not simply the ability to know what someone else is feeling and go, they're there. I understand you're sad. That's not what he's saying. Empathy, or having a tender heart, is actually feeling those feelings of others yourself. It is feeling yourself what someone else is feeling. Having a tender heart is actually coming alongside someone and not just telling them truths that they may need to hear, not just trying to fix their problem, men. It's crying with them, it's hurting with them, it's being angry with them. It's feeling what they're feeling and saying, it's okay to feel this, let's feel this together. I'm there with you. At the loss of a loved one, I hurt with you. When you're sad, I'm sad with you. As the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. We suffer with those who suffer. We rejoice with those who rejoice. In comic books, there is actually a superpower, if you will, of someone who's called an empath. And their power is anytime you're near someone, you feel what they feel. You can't really control it. And in comic books or movies, you'll see these empaths who uh, will just start crying. Someone will be like, what's wrong? I don't know. And, and they're picking up someone else's emotions. God is calling us to be like empaths who are kind to people but who feel with them, who get, come down to where they are. Because think about this. It is really hard to be angry at someone 
and to not forgive them for an offense against you. If the posture of your heart toward people is one of kindness and tender-hearted empathy. The person who has wronged you has hurt you. If you are trying to be kind to them and if you are being empathetic to them, if you are trying to feel what they feel, get in, get in their shoes, I think you're going to understand their plight a lot better and you might make it easier to forgive them for what they did to you. Which is where we're at now in the verse. We come to the heart of the matter. When we fail to be nice, when we fail to be tenderhearted, and someone wrongs us, they hurt us. They hurt us deep. They cut us deep. What do we do? Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let me tell you real, quick, real quickly what forgiveness is not. I think this is really important because I think we misunderstand how forgiveness works. And here's my goal. My goal is for you to understand exactly what forgiveness is and how to do it. Forgiveness is not, so get these. It is not forgetting. This is the number one mistake people make. Forgiveness is not forgetting what was done to you. Uh, people so often don't want to forgive someone else because they are afraid they will only get hurt again or used again or betrayed again. But forgiving is not forgetting. Even though you forgive someone, you probably want to put up protections in your life from having that thing done to you again. For example, if your kid steals money from you out of your sock drawer, you should forgive him. But you should probably not keep your money in your sock drawer anymore. And so it is good for us to forgive people, but we can put barriers and things in our life to help that person from doing that thing to you again. If you catch your husband looking at pornography, you should forgive him. And then you should get some software for his computer where he can't do that anymore. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean living in ignorance, pretending like the thing didn't happen. Forgiveness is not holding it against them, but yet still putting things in your life where it won't happen again. Second, forgiveness does not mean that you won't feel any more pain. As you'll see in a second as we dive into what forgiveness is, it doesn't mean that the pain is gone. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing, but rather it is a process. And it's not something you do right here and you just immediately feel better. It is a long, drawn-out, heart-wrenching process. Three, forgiveness is not diminishing the gravity of the offense. I think this is sometimes our problem, right? Often we refuse to forgive others because we mistakenly think that to do so is to minimize the offense, to minimize their sin, or to make it like what they are doing didn't matter. And we say, that's not fair because it really hurt. It's not fair if I forgive them because then they're just going to get off the hook. Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to bind my wounds? If I forgive them, they're just going to be off the hook. But we must never buy into that lie. That to forgive means that sin is being whitewashed or ignored or that the perpetrator is not being held accountable for their actions. Forgiveness simply means we are consciously choosing to let God be the one to determine the appropriate course of action and dealing justly with the offending person. So that's what forgiveness is not. But what is it? How do we do it? What is it? Forgiveness is simply, not quite simply, paying the debt that is owed. 
Forgiveness is paying the debt. Here's what I mean. When I was uh, uh, 13 years old, 14, 15 years old, somewhere in there, I was, uh, you know, wanting money to go buy whatever. And a lady in our church, uh, we'll call her Miss Ford, uh, said, uh, hey, uh, I've got a bunch of weeds in my garden, uh, in my flower beds. Uh, I'll pay you to come pick them out. Uh, which I thought seemed really easy until I got there, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's a, that's a lot of plucking. But, you know, I wanted the money, and so I'm in, the, in her yard, and, you know, she's got all the decorations, you know, statues and, uh, you know, whatever uh, people like to put in their gardens. And, and she had this one thing. It was like this concrete, you know, thing there, and it had this giant red orb on it about the size of a globe, and just looking at it, I'm thinking it's like the weight, I'm thinking it's like concrete. It's like, the, like a, the weight of a bowling ball, right? And so I'm not paying any attention to it. I'm just, there's another clover, right? I'm just doing it. And I back into that thing and it falls off and then shatters into a bajillion pieces. And you can imagine how my heart stopped as a 15-year-old kid just, and I have no idea what things cost, right, at that age. And you're like, now I've got to go tell her. Not only does she have to pay me for my plucking all these things out of her garden, but now I broke. I don't know if this is things expensive or what. But what happened in that moment is that now there is a debt to be paid. There is a debt owed. Me and Miss Ford were now at odds with one another financially. There was a debt to be paid. And there are only two options. Option one I take the money she was getting ready to pay me and I buy her a new little orb thingy for her flower bed. And I could pay the debt owed to her. Or she could forgive me. And she could look at me and say, Brent, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. But to do that, she can't just say, you're forgiven. The only way for her to forgive me is for her to pay for the debt herself. Either the debt of buying a new orb thingy for her flower bed, or going without one and suffering the loss of that. But the debt has to be paid regardless. It cannot go unpaid. Someone is going to pay for the debt, and that is what forgiveness is. That is what forgiveness is. Here's what it looks like. When someone hurts you, when someone betrays you, when someone stabs you in the back, whatever, when someone wrongs you in whatever way, there is a debt. There is a debt incurred between you and that person. You are no longer good. You are at odds with one another. There is an outstanding balance on your account. And either the offender can pay the debt or you can pay the debt, but someone must pay it. And if you have been offended, if you have been wronged and you feel all this anger and whatever toward the other person, if you're going to pay the debt, then you might go punch them in the face. We're even now. You might go and uh, spread bad stuff about their reputation behind their back and say, can you believe what so-and-so did? Right, and you might tear them down to everyone you come in contact with and therefore get even. And they are paying the debt that they owe to you. But if you are going to forgive that person, you must take all of the anger that you have toward them all of the hurt, all of the sadness, all of those emotions or whatever you're feeling that you just want to like shoot an emotional bomb at them 
You must take all of that, and instead of throwing it at them, you must bear all of that hurt and pain yourself. You must take it into yourself, and instead of afflicting them, you must let it afflict you. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to be a long process depending on how big the offense was. And you must treat them. You can put protections up so it doesn't happen again, but you must treat them in a way that it's not holding this against them, but you are burying their heart. Instead of taking it out on them, you're going to pay the debt and take it into yourself and pay the debt yourself. You bear the cost. You bear the pain. You pay the balance. That is how forgiveness works. That is what it is. It's incredibly hard. It's more than uttering words, oh, I forgive you. It's bearing the pain and the hurt in your own soul. We know, we know this is how forgiveness works because of what Paul says next. He says, forgive others as God in Christ forgave you. There's some, some specific parts in this language how God in Christ forgave you. You see, we have offended God. We have wronged God. We've sinned against God. And now there is a debt to be paid between us and God. And either we can pay it or God can pay it. We can pay it in an eternal hell where God will pour out his wrath on us and he will get even and he will get justice and it will be good and it will be right. But if God is going to forgive us, do you know what God can't do? God cannot look at us and just say, are you sorry? Okay, I'll forgive you. We'll wipe this slate clean. He can't do that because to do that means he's not good and can't be trusted and he's not a good judge. But we've offended God and so what does he have to do? How is he going to forgive us? It means he must take all of the justice, all of the wrath, all of the anger that is aimed at us because we are the offending party and instead of pouring it out on us, he pours it out on himself. See, Jesus comes to the earth, and Jesus is not just some dude. He is God in the flesh. And when Jesus is on the cross, and he is bearing not just Roman torture, not just Roman humiliation and Jewish humiliation, he is taking the wrath of God. The Bible says that a, a cup of wrath is being poured out on him. All of God's anger and justice that it should be aimed at us is aimed back at himself instead. And Jesus on the cross is suffering not just physical torture, but the wrath of God poured out on himself. And the reason God can forgive you is because he has taken the debt that should be paid. Instead of making you pay it, he pays it. And so when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, he is saying, debt paid. The debt has been cleared. I have paid for it. Forgiveness is not free. It comes at a great price. He pays the debt. If you are in Christ this morning, and I do not assume that all of you in this room are, but if you are in Christ, you stand today fully forgiven for everything in your past, everything in your present, and everything in your future because Jesus has taken the full cup of wrath and now that cup is empty. There is not a drop left for God to be angry at you. He has forgiven you for things you haven't even done yet. He has absorbed the debt. 
See, so when we forgive other people, we are doing the same thing God has done for us. We absorb the debt. We pay for the crimes done against us. And when we forgive people, we are proclaiming to the world the gospel. When we forgive other people, we are putting on display for the world that we are different because we don't just forgive people when it suits us or when they're our family. We forgive people no matter what horrific offense they do to us. I read a story this week about a missionary couple who had spent 45 years on the mission field and were serving these people. I think it was, I think it was in Africa and uh, they had given their lives to this indigenous people group and, and, and loving them and serving them and sharing the gospel with them. And, and one day, uh, these people came. They were in their car. Missionaries were in their car. And these tribal people came, and they locked them in their car, and they poured gasoline all over. It was, it was the husband and the boys poured gasoline all over it, set it on fire, and wouldn't let them out and burn them to death. And when... The, the newspapers and everyone asked the wife and her daughter how they were going to respond to these people who had set the, her husband and her sons on fire. She said, we will forgive them. But the only way she's able to do that is to take all of that anger and rage. And I mean, how do you even imagine to feel I've given my life to these people and they've betrayed us this way? To take all that pain and hurt and bear it. And not take it out on them, but to keep loving them. That's what God has done for us. And that is what we are called to do for others. I want to give you some practical advice. To make practice in your marriage and with your kids and with your friends or whoever sins against you. I want to give you sort of a formula that is incredibly helpful for your life. When you sin against someone else, when you do something wrong, and you go to them, which you should, and you should confess it, you need to say, hey, man, I did this. Do not say, hey, if I did this, I'm sorry. Don't say that. Say, own it. I did this. I'm sorry. See the difference? Husbands, don't go to your wives and say, well, honey, if I made you mad, I'm sorry. Say, honey, I did make you mad, and I did do this thing, and I'm sorry. And then say, put, put this in their, put the ball in their court. I did this, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And if you are the offended party, do not look at them and simply say, no big deal, don't worry about it. That is not fair. You look them in the eye and you say, I forgive you. Husbands, wives, do this in your marriage. It'll be incredibly helpful to you. Say, honey, I did this, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Look at them in the eye and say, I will forgive you. Because when you just say, don't worry about it, no big deal, it diminishes both their confession and the offense. Instead, speak the words, I forgive you. There is power in practicing it like that. And if you're at a place where you feel like, I just can't forgive them, the offense was too great, you just had this place of like, you don't know what they did, I can't forgive them. Then you need to remember the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I don't mean asking Jesus into your heart or that language we use. I mean, I want you to think about the debt that God had to pay. The debt that God had to pay through the price of your offense against him. 
all of your collective sin over the course of your entire life has been directed and aimed at him, whether you realize it or not, and God has paid that debt. And it is no small debt, and he has forgiven it. And if God has forgiven all of what we have done, and if you have a good and right picture of that, of all that you have done, it will free you up to forgive other people whose offenses against you are much less than your offenses against God. You must preach the gospel to yourself that you were so sinful that Christ had to die, but so loved that he was glad to. You must beat that into your head and heart. We are about to come to a place in our service where we are actually going to practice forgiveness together by taking the Lord's Supper. And as we take the Lord's Supper, we are to remember the great price that God went to to forgive us. As we take this meal to remember that even when it is hard for us to forgive ourselves, that the cup of wrath is empty and that the debt has been paid. Because Jesus cried out, it is finished. We don't have to do anything else. The debt has been paid. This meal that we are about to take is for those, hear me, who claim Christ as their king. If you are in this room and you do not claim that, if you just believe in God but Jesus is not your Lord, this meal is not for you. Instead, come and throw yourself at his mercy. He will forgive you. He will pay your debt. If you're here this morning and you are, have bitterness in your heart, if you have anger in your heart, if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else, don't take this meal today. Instead, go make it right with that person and ask for, for their forgiveness. Fellowship. Let's not be like chameleons who blend into the world. Let's not just look like everyone else. Let's show the world what the character of Jesus looks like. Let us be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving even when others do not deserve it. Because... We do not deserve the kindness of God, and yet he sent his son to show us true kindness. We do not deserve the tender-hearted empathy of Jesus, and yet he came and he feel, felt what we felt, understands what it means to live in this world. He cries with us, he hurts with us, he knows what it's like to be human. And we do not deserve the forgiveness of God, and yet God saved us from his own wrath by sending his son to take and pay the price of that wrath. If Jesus did all of that for us, then we can turn and do it for others. And let the world see us, Fellowship Baptist Church. Let the world be baffled and confused as they try to understand why in the world does these people love and show grace and forgive their worst enemies? Let's baffle them. As we take this gospel meal, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we take this meal, we proclaim forgiveness is ours. Forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is available to all who would come and eat and drink. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And Lord, we, as we prepare to take this meal together, Lord, would you bind us together as one body? 
Would you uh, confirm in us as we partake of your body and drink of your blood that forgiveness is ours. Confirm in us that your body was indeed broken, that your blood was spilled, was poured out so that you could pay the debt and forgive us of all of our evil deeds. And God, if there's one in this room, as I think that there probably is, who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, who has not bowed their knees to make Christ their king, who has not confessed their sin to you, asked you to forgive them, and is following you. Lord, if that person is in this room who has not done those things, Lord, would today be the day? Would today be the day that they come up to someone, come up to me after the service, come up to someone that they trust, to a deacon, to someone in this church, and say, listen, man, I've believed in God, but I've never... I've never really made Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I've never been baptized or I've never confessed my sin to him and asked him to forgive me. And I don't really know how to do those things. Will you help me? Because let me tell you, guys and girls, we would be thrilled to help you discover what it is like to be set free. That you could break the shackles off of your wrist where you are slaves to the things of this world and be set free to the things of Christ. Let us show you that this morning. But if you're not his, don't take this meal. It'll just be confusing because this is not for you. Forgiveness is not yours. You don't have it yet. But, it, but you can have it. You'll throw yourself on Christ. So God, give us the strength to do what we need to do this morning as we take this meal together. We love you in Christ and we pray all people said.